God says that uh, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. Uh, the wages of sin is death. God sent his son to pay that debt. And when the son died, justice was satisfied. The truth is offensive. The truth is offensive. The gospel is offensive. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are regarded as descendants. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. That's Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 16. Hey man, <laughs> what's going on guys? Welcome to another episode Episode number three of That Good Medicine Podcast, season number two. So if you stuck with us through season number one, you're really a trooper, and we're just thanking you for hanging with us. Hopefully we'll pick up some new some new listeners. We, uh, we're looking at our analytics uh, on the website, on the Anchor website tonight, and we had 20 unique listeners in the last seven days. It's pretty cool. Yeah. People that we have no idea who they are and where they're from. Unique listeners, ones that have not listened to the to the podcast before, so that's pretty cool. We're, we're hoping that they'll stay with us, but uh, I'm your host, Uncle Marco, a.k.a. Uncle Marco. Marcus Arnett, I'm here with my co-host, Lil Nephew, Seth Carter. How's it going, buddy? Man, it's been great. I've had a good weekend so far. Got yeah. to spend some time with some old friends I grew up. Yeah. And got to go to North Carolina, stay in a cabin at night. Now I'm back in Tennessee, ready to do this podcast tonight. Yeah, that's awesome. So after the last podcast, got a little bit of feedback, which we really, really appreciate. Like It's awesome to hear from people who have listened to it, and they can kind of relate with what you're saying. And you know that what you're saying is resonating with people. And so we really appreciate that, guys. Whether you agree with us or not, um, any feedback is just awesome. I mean, I had uh, someone text me earlier this week and about the, the altar call episode and was just saying, hey, I appreciate what you all said on there. Um, and they were saying they had experienced a, a situation. They were in a church, and uh, the guy that was given the altar call you know, turned the lights off and was using it as like a scare tactic to get people to come forward, and it, and it worked. 
and he was just saying, you know, how, how he appreciated uh, what we were saying that he knows that it's God who does the work and not man. Yeah. And so that's awesome. We really appreciate yeah, that God feedback. For that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to continue tonight in our five part series. This will be uh, episode two of the five part series on the five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, as many people call them. And so tonight's episode is going to be on the U in Tulip. So if you have ever heard of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace, you know that there's five points to it. And those are often referred to as TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. So the last episode we talked about the T, which is uh, total depravity. Sorry, I had a force Gump moment there. Um, is total depravity. And then U is unconditional election, which is what tonight's episode will be on. So Seth, you want to kick us off? I know you've got some notes. I've got some notes. Let's uh, let's just kind of go back and forth with this thing. What, what what do you want to start off with this? If somebody was to ask, what do you mean by unconditional election? What does that mean? Well, when we come to the biblical and the reformed view of election, that's called unconditional election, the five points, it means that God does not foresee an action or any condition on our behalf that inspires him to save us. Mm-hmm. Instead, election rests completely and totally on God's sovereign decree or decision in eternity past to save whoever he desires. So there's not a, a pre uh, a precondition to God's work and salvation. It's all of him. According it's all of his decisions mm-hmm. and choices. I mean, all of his. Well, yeah, his yeah, his, his what he has decided, what he has chosen. It's yeah. what God has decided, what God's chosen, and it's not um, it's not kind of hinged on a condition. It's God. It's according to the purpose of His will. Yes. So. Um, which is is interesting uh, because what we we typically uh, most people would hear this about unconditional election and say well we don't disagree with a lot of things you're saying but we think God looked ahead in time and knew who would choose him so what would you say to that well that's one of the biggest objections there is with dealing with this Um, the most common way of dealing with election and predestination is the Armenian type of view, which you just mentioned, and that is called mm-hmm. middle knowledge. God supposedly looking into the future to see who would choose him, then he elected according to that basis. If that was the case, it dismisses God's omniscience. Mm-hmm. Since God is all-knowing, um, saying, he's not learning along the way. Basically. It would be saying if he looked ahead of time to see what somebody would do, then chose by that basis, he would have learned something. It's saying God learned something. So I want to read yes. a verse of scripture here that totally backs up what Seth's saying right there. I don't know. You may have this in your notes to, to read too, but I'm going to jump the gun on you and read it. But in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will so what does those verses tell us in Ephesians chapter 1 it tells us that he being God chose us before the foundation of the world so it's not something that um, that God was learning along the way. He looked ahead in time and saw who was going to pick him, and that's how he elected them. It says that he chose us before the foundation of the world, and those verses also tell us that he pre- he predestined 
our adoption through Jesus according to the purpose of his will. Not because of a, a choice in the future that we were going to make, but according to the purpose of his will, uh, he predestined us through the adoption uh, of Christ, that Christ has adopted us. Yeah, if you go by saying, well, he looked into the future of time, he don't have problems just with God's uh, attributes, mm -hmm. he, him losing his omniscience. It changes the doctrine of unconditional election to conditional election. It's what you have when, yeah. if he's supposedly looking through the portals of time. Yeah, and that you'll hear that too. God looked through the portals of time. He saw who was going to choose him, and he selected on that. That's behalf. the most common one yeah. you hear. And that's probably, like you said, it's the most common objection. What You got any other objections on there you want to throw out? Oh, goodness. Uh, There's a lot of obje objections to this, for sure. Most of them come from conditionalism. Is where all mm -hmm. the objections come from. Either starts with like as we've been talking about our actions or our conditions. Well, that can't be it because we're all equally dead in sin. We're all yes. spiritually dead. Yeah. So that rules that out. I've heard people say, "Well, you was in the right place at the right time. That's the reason why God chose you, mm -hmm. and this and that. Our free will's a big one." Yeah. But none of them things determine that. Not even being raised in a, a Christian home. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. say that. Yeah. Raised in a Christian home yeah. even determines it. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. You need to raise your kids up in a Christian Absolutely. home. Absolutely, yeah. That'd be foolish not to. But and I think it's something special, too. And take a, take a, I'll take a squirrel here. I'll go a side route. I think it, it is, uh, it's a beautiful thing that God allows children to be born into Christian families. Yes. Because sometimes you see the purpose of God's will played out in that and that, that the children do become Christians. But we're saying that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, keep, keep going. Sorry, I, I jumped in and interrupted you. Oh, no, that's all right. But, I mean, in the scripture we just read, I mean, it just shows in Romans 9, verse 11, for though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything, good or bad, mm -hmm. So that God's purpose according to his choice would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. Yeah, no condition to it. I want to share this from something I, I used several times in the last episode and something that I've really enjoyed reading through the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Yes, it's not the Bible. We don't say that it is. We don't believe that it is. But we appreciate the work that was put in to put it together. And we also feel that it draws clear conclusions to things that are in Scripture that we uh, try to define. And so I'm going to read this from the London Baptist Confession. And this is in chapter 3 and paragraph, uh, paragraph 5. It says, Those of mankind that are predestined to life, God, before the foundation of the world was laid, according to his eternal and immutable purpose, and the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love without any other thing in the creation as a condition or cause moving him thereunto. So you see in that, um, and not just this, but also in the scripture, that because of God's grace, his free grace and his, and his love, without any other thing influencing it besides his own purpose, his own will, there's no condition to it. He has chosen us before the foundation of the world in Christ. He's chosen those that will be saved. And you may hear the the argument that, well, it's not fair. If God doesn't save everybody, it's not fair. Everybody has a chance. That's not fair. 
So I want to quote this, and I, I don't know who it was. Uh, I heard it, I believe, from, from maybe R.C. Sproul, but I know it's been used several times. But the question is not, why doesn't God save everybody? The question is, why does God save anybody? Because we are all rebels against his will. We're all sinful, rebellious creatures that hate him unless he intervenes and changes their heart. So why does he even intervene in the first place? And it, well, I read it to you there. It's because of his grace and his love that he set on us in eternity past. Yeah, and what people don't realize is you have a whole entire world that hates God. Yeah. Unless they've been regenerated. The whole world hates God. Mm -hmm. In Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, this is Paul talking, mm -hmm. before Christ, you was an enemy. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I had to go ahead and read the rest of the verse, but yeah. people think that this whole world... Well, I ain't say everybody thinks this. Some people think people seeking God. We know there's no God seekers. Everybody hates God. Everybody's in opposition to God. Yes, and start well, off that way. Yeah, that's yeah. You, you see that right there. Mm -hmm. And plus, for the rages of sin or death. Yeah, right there's what you earn with your sin is yeah. death. Anything that God does save it salvific wise is pure grace it's all of grace nobody deserves to be saved yeah no if we got what we deserve we'd all be in hell every single one every of us. single person god could have hell. just passed over every single one of us and we would all be in hell so the fact that not all people are elected it causes people to squirm it caused me to squirm as i wrestled with this with this doctrine as i came upon it in Ephesians 1, when I first read um, the, the verses of Scripture I read earlier, when I first started reading it and read those verses that got me really wrestling with this doctrine, um, the thing that bothered me the most is that not all people are elected. But then through study of Scripture, we see, for instance, here's an example in John chapter 13 and verse 18. Jesus had just got finished wiping, or washing the disciples' feet, and this is what he said. I'm not speaking of all of you. I'm speaking of whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's obviously talking about Judas there, yeah. but he's saying he's not speaking these things that he was telling the disciples. He's not speaking to all of them. He's speaking to those that he has specifically chosen. So God knows who he's specifically chosen. That number won't be added to or taken away. God has a specific number. And we read in Revelation about the multitudes of people that will be in heaven. So I I think when people hear about this doctrine, they think that they hear the term like frozen chosen and type of those type of uh, phrases. And we limit, limit it to how many people can be saved, but God is not limited by, by our limitations. There could be millions and millions and millions of people saved. God had, maybe has elected that many people. We do not know. But... I want to read this verse of scripture too while I'm on this about not everyone being elected. 2 Timothy 2 and 19 says this, and this is Paul was talking about um, two men that were confusing the church, saying the resurrection had already happened. Um, so this is what he said, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So that last part, he was saying 
um, those people had came in. There was two men that he was talking about. Came in and was teaching the church that there was the resurrection had already happened. And so what he was saying was, God knows those are those are His, and those that are His depart from iniquity. They don't come here and try to teach you this crap that these guys are trying to teach you. And so, but we see also in that verse of scripture that it's not like a secret thing to God. It's not something that He chooses based on our choice. It says the Lord knows those who are His. So He knows specifically the amount of people that are chosen we don't know uh calvinists often get um confronted with this well if if god already knows who's going to be saved what's the use in evangelism i know how i would answer that but how what what, what would you say to that seth i would want to first be obedient to my lord and savior he commanded us to preach the gospel to every creature two we don't know who's going to be saved the elect we don't know who they are. Mm-hmm. Spurgeon said if they had a yellow stripe on their back, he would go around pulling their shirts up and preaching to them. Mm-hmm. He would. Three, God has chose. My third reason for that is God has chose the foolishness of preaching to bring his people mm-hmm. to them. Yeah, we still believe what Romans 1 and 16 says. It's the gospel that's the power of God into salvation. And how are they going to believe except they hear? And so... You know, yes, God has elected people to salvation, but they still have to hear the gospel to be effectually called. Yeah, right? faith comes by hearing the word of God, yeah. and there you go. It all works together in God's perfect plan. Yeah, so uh, I, you you can speak to this if you want to. When when you hear me say the term effectual calling and a general calling, what would if you could explain that? How would you how would you explain that? General general calling is us preaching mm-hmm. we call men the repentance and faith through the preaching of the gospel the effectual calling is the calling that god does when he call brings somebody from death to the life. holy spirit is doing the work there and that if you listen to our last episode we, we talked about monergism and synergism monergism is god through the holy spirit doing the work for salvation synergism is god doing the work but you're cooperating with god in that so Monergism is that work that's going on there with um, the effectual calling. God is through that effectual calling. The Holy Spirit is changing man, woman, boy, girl's heart and bringing them to faith and repentance in Christ. Oh yeah, and that talking about that right there, that goes into the fourth point of it's irresistible grace, which we hit not next week but the week after. Yeah, the week after. Yeah. So we've we've talked about this, but so there's not all are elected. You know, it's not something that it's not fair marcus it's 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 really not it's not a thing that's fair uh by our standards it's not fair but is god unjust in saying this and and i know any person who has ever listened to any reform teaching any reform preaching um (laughs) when they hear somebody say it's not fair um if we wanted fair as i said earlier we would all deserve god's judgment and god's wrath we'd all be in hell every single person born of the seed of adam would be in hell yeah what would happen so this is what i want to say though when we say that this is not fair um in romans 9 which you read in opening up paul in in romans 9 he expected the objection there he knew it was coming he knew it was coming because it's funny you know god god is not um you know he's the author of our of our of the Bible. He's he's the author of Scripture. None of it is by chance or circumstance or anything like that. It's in there for a reason. Um, so Paul expected the objection in Romans nine, and Romans nine fourteen says this: What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part in Romans nine and talking about 
the doctrine of unconditional election, you can't get around it in Romans 9. And so Paul expected that, that objection. He said, is there injustice on God's part? By no means. Verse 19 in Romans 9 says, you will say to me then, this is what Paul's saying, you'll say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? In uh, chapter 15, verse 9, it says this, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Once again, Paul's response tells us a lot about, about the situation that he's in right there. Does he respond? Does Paul res, uh, respond by arguing this? But remember, God only hardened Pharaoh's heart after Pharaoh hardened his own heart. That, that's something that I've wrestled with before, and I've talked to people, and they've said the same thing. But no, that is not how Paul responds. Instead, he questions this critic, this person who, who has this uh, objection. He, he questions um, the right to even lodge the objection. He says, he, this is what he does, basically. He doubles down on God's sovereign right as the potter to make vessels for whatever uses he sees fit. God is the potter, we're the clay, we don't dictate what God does, and God can make vessels for dishonor, as we see in the scripture, verses 20 and 21 of Romans 9, or he can make uh, vessels of honor and vessels of mercy. So yes, God makes vessels of dishonor, vessels of wrath, vessels of destruction, but he also makes vessels of honor, mercy, and glory. And all these things are done so that God will be glorified, and even... I know we talked about the, the common thing in our area is the Armenian view of this, but even the Armenians, when questioned about this, if you said, is God unjust in election, they would say, no, he's not. They just view election differently than we do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, there's a courtroom analogy. I believe it was Pastor Jeff Durbin was talking about. He goes, you don't have people come into a courtroom and say to a judge, well, that's not loving. That's not loving. Why can't you be a good judge and be loving? That'd be just insane. Mm -hmm. You think about that. And if you ever been in a courtroom, it's an intimidating thing. Sure, it is. Yeah. It is, because there's no getting by. I mean, technically, there's no getting by if you're guilty. Yeah. In a sense. For the most part. I mean, most part, yeah. you know. There, in, in our local, local level courtrooms, that's the case, right? Unless somebody's paid off, sure. you know what I mm -hmm. mean. But it's a it's a terrifying thing to be in a court. It really is. You got the jury there, you got the judge there, and you can't get by with just petty lies and this and that. Mm -hmm. When you realize everybody is guilty and deserves God's wrath, yeah, that takes care of this problem. Yeah, does, I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Everybody. I will talk to most Baptist preachers or just most preachers in general and say, does everybody deserve hell? And they say, yes, amen. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you say, does everybody deserve a choice to choose Jesus Christ? That's when it changes. Yeah, yeah, that's where it throws a wrench in there. It's not a question you're faced with very often, really, especially in the area we live in. But God is not... Um, He's not held within the boxes that, that we have here. And the scripture is very clear. But it's also something, the doctrine of predestination, of God's unconditional election, not con not contingent on anything that we do or will do. Um, I want to I read this to, uh, again, going back to the, 
to London Baptist Confession just because I love it. It's very clear. That's your Book of Mormon, ain't it? No, it's not my Book of Mormon, no. No, but it, it's really great. It's really clear. It says this about the doctrine of, of predestination. It says, The doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford a matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God. And here's the thing that, that Calvinists often, often, often fail at when it comes to these things. Humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that is to all that sincerely obey the gospel. So the doctrine of predestination, it shouldn't be put out in a way that you're trying to overmind people, that you're trying to make people feel stupid. I've heard it that way before from people who hold these views. Um, you don't see the humility that that the uh, London Baptist Confession is speaking of here, um, but. This doctrine is very serious, and to understand it and see it in Scripture, it's not something that we not just wrestle with and come to a conclusion that, yes, it's true, the Scripture says this is true, but it is it is a matter of praise, like this says. When you find out that you're called, that God has elected you before the foundation of the earth, before you were even here and, bef- and messed up and sinned and fell short of the glory of God, before that ever happened God knew who you were and God set his love on you in eternity past that is a matter of praise to God because only he can do those things we limit things we we put things in conditions and conditional matters but God is the author of salvation and he's the one who set his love on us in eternity past and I say praise God for that because it it leaves it leaves glory. It, it takes a glo- any glory away from us and gives all glory to our Creator, God the Father. Amen. Yes. And what people need to realize is God don't choose good people because there's none there's good. There's none good. There's only one ever. And that was Jesus Christ. Yeah. God in the flesh incarnated. Yeah. And God killed him on the cross for us. Yeah. I mean, he really, I want to say this. He willingly laid his life down. But God poured out his wrath on his son Absolutely. on our behalf. Absolutely. But, I mean, God don't choose good people to be saved. No. That's the way it looks like. You mm-hmm. go to Leighton Flowers, Choice Meats thing. Yeah, but <laughs> Choice Meats. <laughs> have you saw it, Divide Line? No, oh, I gosh, it's, that it's, it's a while. It's been a while back, but goodness, yeah. that, was, yeah. that was hilarious. But, no, it's there's none of us that deserve salvation. Yeah. And that right there should take the stress off people when you realize nobody deserves it. Mm-hmm. And that that's something else I'll say. We talked about evangelism a little bit earlier. But it's not, and this kind of goes back to our altar call episode a little bit. It's not um, up to how well you present the gospel, how well you are of a speaker that you are, these things. God has, has chosen a people before the foundation of the earth. And upon their calling, their effectual calling, they will come to faith in Christ. It's as sure as I'm sitting here, as sure as the nose on your face, God's going to do it. Yeah. And... In evangelism, it takes the stress off of trying to put somebody into a decision. Oh my goodness! It, when I realized the doctrines of grace, mm-hmm. it didn't make me not want to evangelize. It made me want to evangelize more. Yeah, because God's over salvation. Yeah, it's like thank God I don't have to try to to coerce these people into a decision. I don't have to, to like persuade them. Like mm-hmm. 
well, you know, yeah. like a salesman type yeah. thing. You no. don't have a sleazy salesman. You're telling them the story, the gospel, of what Jesus Christ done, his death, burial, his resurrection, his perfect, sinless life, and what he's done on our behalf. And just, I mean, that's it. Leave it at that. We God, preach God Christ crucified and his resurrection. Yes. And don't worry about it. Absolutely. So, uh, but, but this doctrine, as I said and reading that there, um, it is kind of a mystery. It, it's hard for us to wrap our, our brains around, but you cannot get around it in the Scripture. Look, even in the Old Testament with Israel. Look at Israel. What did they do to be, to, to be chosen by God? That's God. That was God's chosen chosen people. What did they do to be to be chosen by God? Absolutely nothing. Did they deserve it? No. No. They were. I mean, how many times throughout the Old Testament Old Testament do we read of them turning away from God? looking to things that were idols and, and things that were sinful and turning uh, and running the opposite direction of what God was leading them. And still, that is God's chosen, that was God's chosen people. And so there's nothing uh, uh, conditional that we see, even in the Old Testament, New Testament. There's no way you can read the scripture without getting around election. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Oh, that's right. I, mean, I said in the Old Testament, right here in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Yeah. That's election in the Old Testament. Yep. Yep. You can't get around it. There's no, there's no getting around it. There's no... There's no denying it, honestly. Whenever you, whenever you get you, you hit it in scripture. Ephesians one is what got me on it. So, well, Ephesians one happens to be what got me started on it. Yeah, didn't finish that way with me believing in unconditional election. I was at Independent Bible College online mm-hmm. and everything. I have me, <laughs> and uh, they was lecturing on Ephesians one, and he read the scripture chosen in him before the foundation of the earth. I was like, there's got to be more to that. Yeah. How did they explain it? I'm just curious if you can remember. Uh, that's been 2018. Oh, I can't remember that remember. far yeah. back. I was honestly. just curious if you remember. Um, I don't know if it was the Armenian, typical Armenian view looking ahead of time. I don't, I can't remember. I think there's mostly silent on it, honestly. Yeah. But uh, g- Googling, you know, Ephesians 1, yeah. reference verses to this and that. Mm-hmm. Come to Romans 9. Yeah. Once I realized that's not talking like completely about nations and mm-hmm. all that, yeah. I was like, well, this is definitely talking about individuals here because you got individuals mentioned here. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, this, this slayed my horse of Arminianism I yeah. used to ride on. Yeah, once you start digging into some of these scriptures, it really totally flips your world upside down. If you're a student of the Bible... And I'll say this, I was a, 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 I'll say I was a student of the Bible. I just, you know, would sit down and read the scripture. I wasn't necessarily on any type of reading plan or anything like that. I just would pick a book of the Bible and try to read through it. Um, and when I got to Ephesians, I was, you know, just so happened to be reading Ephesians, read Ephesians 1. And uh, I remember asking Rachel, like, hey, listen to this. What do you think about this? And she's like, I don't know. We don't, we never really believed that. And I'm like, well, I, I know, I, I, you know, nobody ever really talks about this at all, and it's and when it's used, it's not really you know talked about that much. You just kind of skip over it. But I don't know how you get around this. You know, it, it kind of threw me for a loop, which is when I originally <laughs> texted you and said, "Hey, Seth, what do you what do you think about predestination?" And you said, "Well, it's true. It's in the Bible." 
and then that kind of sparked this whole this whole spiral we've been on uh, since then. So it's kind of really what what uh, ultimately got into this starting this this podcast is these you know four or five hour conversations we would have about things, and we said, man, it'd be really cool to start recording some of this. Yeah, I mean that's how this podcast really got started, started. Just talking theology with yep. you late at night. Yeah, but the answer the rest of the questions that i meant the objections yeah that we've had brought up the conditionalism stuff and all that when you realize god's knowledge is based upon his decree mm-hmm. his knowledge is based upon his decree not foreseeing actions or anything like that you have a solid view of god's decrees and everything and his knowledge mm-hmm. and i want to ask people this right here who do you want to be in control of salvation a holy just perfect god or sinful man. Yeah, with God maybe intervening, maybe not. Yeah, God, that, tr- God trying, Marcus. Yeah, God trying to save somebody. It's something that, which you know my thoughts on that, but I have a hard time when I hear that now. I know you do too. Oh, and God bless me. the people that are saying it. I know they've not thought very deep into this, but when they say God's trying to save somebody, God doesn't try to do anything. No, he he is he is chosen before the foundation of the earth, who he was going to save. He's not trying to. He's accomplishing his will. And did did Christ come to save um, everybody and just fail at it, or did he come to save a people and he accomplished it? What did he say when he on the cross? At, it is finished. He said it is finished. What was Tetelestai. finished? Yeah, the the salvation was accomplished. Of course, he had to resurrect. The resurrection had to happen for the scripture to be fulfilled. But he accomplished the salvation of those that would be saved. Which is particular redemption, which will be coming next week. Yeah, absolutely. So, or limited atonement, however you want to call it. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ways you can spin that. Limited atonement is not really the best way to put that. I don't think honestly. I like definite atonement. Definite yeah. or particular redemption. Yeah, me too. I like definite atonement. It's my favorite way to, to put that. But okay, well, um, anything else you want to kind of want to riff on on this? I know this is probably come as a shock to many of you that'll listen. It's not something that maybe you've ever even heard of before, or it's something that maybe you've came to in Scripture and had questions about, but you were afraid to ask those questions because you sit in a setting where you're afraid that you may be criticized or you may be shunned for just asking questions. And we want to say that you may totally disagree with us and the conclusions we've came to. God bless you. We love you anyways. Yeah, we love you in Christ. We do. And the only thing that I hope to bring to you through this is just clear distinct understanding of what the scripture says and what it's teaching and whether you want to put it in a certain theological system i don't worship john calvin i don't i don't um you know bow at the altar of the doctrines of grace by any means i don't pray the augustine i don't pray that yeah the saint augustine i don't none of those things um i worship my savior jesus christ and I believe his word is true. And if his word is any value to us at all, we must examine what his word actually says. And it, when we come to things where it disagrees with our opinion, our tradition, and these things that we've been taught, God's word is, is always true. And we'll always be wrong if we're in opposition to that. So that's why we come to these conclusions. And you may still come away with this disagreeing with us. And that's totally fine. Uh, but I just want to challenge you to actually read the scripture and interpret it through God's lens and not through the lens of whatever setting you're in. 
And that's all I want to want to leave you with tonight. And I know this is you know not a very popular thing, but it's something that we really wanted to go through because we do hold to these to these doctrines. Yeah, I mean, this brief podcast we're doing on is just to wet your taste buds on. Yeah, yeah, and dig deeper into the scriptures. And if it's something you're really interested in, uh, if you're listening to this and you're somebody that's gave us some feedback before, and you're like, huh, I've never really heard that before. Uh, where can I get some more info on that? Just reach out to us. We would be Man, we love talking about this stuff. So we would be more than happy to put you in, uh, in a setting where you can hear more of it, to give you resources where you can read more about it, or whatever the case may be. And before we close this thing out, in true Baptist style, we say that and then we talk for 15 more minutes. Let's talk about this because we missed it in our episode. How do you answer in, in relation to election? John 3.16, whosoever will. How do, how, that, how do you reckon that? How do you wrestle with that with election? Whoever believes, believes, and is saved. Right. If you read that as whosoever will, is just anybody and everybody, you're reading in the believability of man. And man doesn't have the capability to yeah. believe. But when you read believability into that, yeah. it changes the whole thing. It does. It, and guilty as charged right here. Somebody who did it for a very long Same time. Same here for a small period of time. Yeah. And, uh, Jesus was literally saying, whoever believes this. Yeah. Whoever believes this. Yeah, whoever will believe this. Whoever. Yeah. Not like you have believability, but whoever believes this. Yeah, the ones that believe, the believing ones. Yes, that have saving belief will be saved. When you read believability into it, it changes the, really the meaning of it. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's a common one that people will use um, to try to defend to say that you know that belief is wrong that our our belief that we hold is wrong but i think that's a perfect explanation of what the scripture actually means there yeah i mean we read guilty as charged yeah we read our ideas and man-made theology mm-hmm. into the text a lot of times yeah we insert our thoughts into what god is saying and has said yeah, and that's that that's dangerous it's a dangerous thing to do it's i've always i've heard it this way and it's, it's the best way i've ever heard it put we read the scripture through whatever lens it is that we have been taught or uh, are, are currently in. Whatever the lenses are, like imagine you have a pair of glasses on. Whatever lenses you're looking through, that's how you see the scripture when you read it. Instead of just saying, here's God's word, what does it say? Does it contradict what I believe? I'm wrong. That's where that's that's the ultimate where we want you to get to. Yeah, and consistency in the scriptures is a big thing because God's a consistent God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, He's not going to say He may say things in the scripture that make you think that contradict one another, but when you take scripture as a whole, God is not the author of confusion. His word is true, and we believe that the scripture is true, and it's not going to contradict itself. It, if you read it in context, it works itself out. That right there is the big deal, context. Yep, absolutely. So, Seth, let's wrap it up there. We've got, uh, this was part two of our five-part five series. Uh, and this one will actually be debuting, tonight's episode will actually be debuting on Thanksgiving. So, hope every one of our 18, 19, maybe 20 listeners, I hope you all have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy time with your family. And just thank God for everything that he's given us. The ability to even do this is a major blessing to Seth and I. And don't think that we take it lightly. Everyone that listens, uh, it, it's a, it really warms my heart. It's a, I really appreciate uh, everyone that listens. And I really, really super 
in a big way appreciate all the feedback that we've got whether it's you know somebody here and there giving us a little feedback or whatever the case may be i just really appreciate the feedback because it lets us know people are listening number one and they're wrestling with the things that we're saying and that's the whole that's our whole purpose in doing this challenging people to wrestle with whatever we're saying and say is it biblical what does the bible say and yes i'm wrong uh, or i'm right or whatever the case may be and just you know coming to that conclusion in your own walk with christ amen god bless you guys we love you have a happy thanksgiving amen good night guys